Hello, welcome back. It is week 25 on Out on That Line. I'm Jeff reporting live from the frozen tundra of Austin, Texas, here with my co-host, as always, Alex. Alex, how are you doing this week? Well, from the looks and the sounds of it, a lot better than <laughs> you and the folks down there, my old home, Austin. Jesus Christ, dude. Uh, it's been, yeah, been a week. Been a week. Um, been a while since I've seen any uh, substantial amount of meat in a grocery store. Uh, finally got some milk yesterday and some eggs. That was good. Uh, all these necessities I never thought I'd get so excited about, but uh, after you deal with an entire state shutting down because of a ice storm, you know, you're, you're a little thankful for those sorts of things. That's for sure. You're a little grateful for a, a packet of Oscar Mayer. And uh, not to be glib, <laughs> yeah. but speaking of bologna, did you like the segue? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what's coming um so we talked about morgan wallen and i honestly don't remember if that was last episode or the episode before i think it was the episode before okay before the yeah. absolute blanket party that we gave the foos <laughs> yeah. um yeah no responses to that either by the way good stuff guys you know friend of yeah. the pod andy was like oh i don't understand all this unwarranted hate it's like did you listen to the episode? We gave them every opportunity to say, mm-hmm. hey, these are talented musicians, and they did this well, and this wasn't bad. We tried, man. Mama tried. Mm-hmm. We tried. We did our best. I mean, it's not our fault that the Foo Fighters are terrible, and they made yet another terrible album. Yeah, that's not on us. We're not on trial here. The whole system's on trial. Yeah. Yeah. System's broken. Um, and speaking of a broken system, so this we've got a little addendum to the Morgan Wallen situation. Mm-hmm. Now, while we were talking about it, we were like, well, at the risk of ironically tearing down a black guy who's kind of sort of trying to advocate for another side of this whole mm-hmm. Morgan Wallen situation, which to refresh people's memory, he was out drinking and then he started throwing the N word around and one of his neighbors caught it on video. Um, Jimmy Allen, who is a black country music star, has come out. Not necessarily in support of Morgan Wallen, mm-hmm. but more so in support of the concept of forgiveness. Like, hey, he fucked up. He did something wrong. But at what point do we realize that he's flawed? He's human like the rest of us. And when do we give him a chance to make up for what he did? Which mm-hmm. is like big of him. That's a nice notion from Jimmy Allen. My problem with it is the second he did that, all of the friggin white maga dork motherfuckers on facebook were mm-hmm. like see he understands well the black guy's telling us that what morgan wallen did is okay and that's good enough for me like kanye west was such a gift to these yeah. people yeah they were like see yeah. he's on our side take that obama like <laughs> yeah i you know i i really like you said it's not you know i don't think there's any need to like tear down jimmy allen not at all at all not you know, at i all. think i think i think his the idea of forgiveness is a good thing. You know, there's not, there's certainly nothing wrong with people getting a second chance, you know, but I think it's only been like a couple of weeks, yeah. you know, and I, and I haven't, and I've seen the statement that Morgan Wallen made and, and I thought he was very contrite in that, honestly. Um, you know, I think he knows he fucked up now. We'll see if he's sorry he got caught or he's actually sorry that he did it. Yeah. Um, I think that's a big distinction that we've yet to see. And I don't think you can really see that in a couple weeks. So while I do appreciate the notion of forgiveness, you know, and I certainly appreciate that, you know, somebody it's got to, you know, that's not an easy thing to say either, you know, as, as someone that probably feels like they have to represent to a certain degree, you know, the small amount of black artists there are in country music, you know, it's, it's not a, it's, 
it's certainly not an easy position. I think that anybody would be in there. Um, but I, I, you know, it's only been a couple weeks. Like he just said it, you know, and he just apologized, which was fine. Mm -hmm. Now I think we have to give a little while to see if he means it, you know, and I think somebody like you referenced with Louis CK, you know, he just, I feel like a lot of people are like, yeah, maybe he deserved at some point, some sort of redemption and a comeback, but it happened. I think what it was within a year. Nine months and of he, all that going on. And and it was exactly what you're talking about. Are you sorry you did it? Are you sorry you got caught? And I would argue, mm -hmm. I think Louis C.K. is sorry he got caught. I don't think yeah. he's sorry for what he did because it's such a deeply embedded kink that I don't think he's at all sorry for it. And I think coming back nine months later making jokes about the Parkland kids kind of shows that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um so anytime I say, hey, there's a distinction between Louis C.K. and Harvey Weinstein, that's not necessarily to say, and Louis C.K. is a great guy. Yeah. It's just to, you know, you know, draw that distinction. Um, but, yeah, the Jimmy Allen thing is very interesting. I, I just, again, it's, it's nothing against him. It's very big of him if that's how he feels and to get up and say that, especially because you get these fake-ass neoliberals who will look at him mm -hmm. and be like, well, that just makes you an Uncle Tom. For saying that. And it's like, yeah. you know, fuck you guys too. That's, you're missing the fucking yeah. point, which is like, it's, it's, it's nice that he wants to advocate for a path forward because that is also something that like I believe in if you show actual contrition, but yeah. you have to show it. You can't just say sorry. Like Morgan Wallen now needs to do everything he can to elevate black voices in the country music community and not make it mm -hmm. about like, look what a good thing Morgan Wallen did. Do it yeah. because it's the right thing to do. You want to make up for it. Why don't you help people get to your level of fame and influence? Um, yep. So it just bugs me that the the Trump pansies are just like, well, Jimmy Allen is a real Christian, unlike that fucking Marin Morris or Jason Isbell, who are like yeah. saying that Morgan Wallen's head should be on a pike. They don't understand. They're not real <laughs> Christians. <laughs> yeah, it's, it. I, you know, I think it's, the culture in country music, you know, while there are certainly great parts of it, you know, and, and we've yeah. certainly gone over some really great artists here. Um, and there's certainly some really great black artists to, to listen to in that, in that genre. You know, I think the problem is it's still dominated by folks like Morgan Wallen, Jason Aldean, you know, these, these guys that are just very white, <laughs> you know, grew up in the South, you know, and didn't really, you know, and then they also are really kind of appropriating hip-hop music in a lot of in a lot of country music now. yeah um you know florida georgia line's a huge huge culprit of that sam hunt massive culprit of that morgan wallen in a bunch of his songs same thing um this guy kane brown who was just terrible i don't know how i don't know how this man has a career i don't know um if if you're a kane brown fan like i don't know what you're doing you're probably listening to the wrong podcast though um <laughs> uh, but it, it's just like these are the guys that dominate country music because they're that classic look of the, you know, the baseball cap, the, the, the ripped jeans, you know, the cowboy boots, you know, it's very, everybody knows that look, you know, I'm not putting on any airs. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just a very, like, I don't know. I feel like they really just don't pay any attention to, or want to pay any attention to any other opinions than their own. So when they see somebody that agrees with their opinion, they're going to amplify that. Yeah. Like they're doing, with Jimmy Allen, but there's 10 times as many dissenting voices, 
you know, from black country artists as there are, you know, Jimmy Allen, you know, preaching for forgiveness. And right. I, I don't think any of them are necessarily saying like, you know, this guy's life needs to end, you know what I mean? Or anything like that, but they want some accountability and rightfully so. Yeah. And there's just been very little of it to go around in country music when things like this pop up. It's, you know, you get, you have to take a few months off, go into hiding, pretend that you're doing rehab on your image and that, and that kind of stuff. And then you come back out with a comeback in a song about how sorry you are that you did it. And then you, your career just resumes as normal yep. and even better than before usually. Cause people are like, Oh, he's a real, he's a real person that makes mistakes. I can relate to that. And it's just like, well, there's a difference between, you know, drinking a little too much and getting in too many fights and stuff like that and dropping the N bomb. Yeah. Like to me, there's, there's a big difference. It shows a little difference in your personality. You know, there's, there's a lot deeper problems if you're doing things like dropping the N bomb versus if you just like get too many fights or you drink too much, you know what I mean? It's just like, that's a deeper issue that I think needs to be addressed and we need to, it needs to be visible, you know, as much as people deserve to deal with pain and things like that privately, no matter what their celebrity status is, when your mistake happens in a public platform and you hope to get back to your status on that public platform, the rehab that you're going through and the things that you're working on should also be in some form on that public platform, you know, because it's, it's just, I don't know. I feel like it's part of the penance and part of the punishment that you have to deal with for, for what you've done. Um, and I think it makes it so that, you know, if you're going to be more prone for people to forgive you, if you perform in that way and you do something like that versus if you just come out and say like, Oh, I've done this, I've done that. And you get a couple people to give good reviews about your behavior the last few months. And it's like, well now let's you know, when the same thing might very well happen again, right. when you get to be as famous as you want to be once again, you know, when you get to see like, Oh, well, I guess I can't make any mistakes if that's all I had to do. And, and now I'm back here. You know, I think it just, you need to make sure that people are held accountable for their actions in a way that satisfies the folks that were offended more so than the folks that really had nothing to do with it at all. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't have said it better. I really, after that, that was very comprehensive. I have nothing really else to add. So <laughs> that was great. If we can get that to Sorry. Morgan Wallen. No, just as Got you were talking. Got up on my soapbox there. Sorry. No, as you were talking, I was like, yeah, damn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, I have nothing to add to that. That pretty much is, <laughs> that's it. Um, uh, time for a lot of lot of thinking and a lot of drinking this week, I'll tell you what. Apparently, apparently. You should write yourself <laughs> yeah. a country song. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, well, I just, I don't know. I thought that was interesting, little follow-up on the story. So. Yeah. yeah, and I and I will say, I think we do need to give a bit of a shout-out here to Luke Combs, because I think we beat up on him a little bit when we were talking about that, interested in what he was going to say. Um, and he has come out and said that he is not okay with the Confederate flag whatsoever. And any appearances he had with it were a mistake and something he's learned from. So, you know, if it, it has been a long time since he's been photographed or posed with one or anything like that, or even allowed one around him. Um, so hopefully that's the case. And he really has changed his mind about that. Um, you know, because I think a lot of people enjoy his music and he's definitely not at the level of the tailgates and tan lines country that I, that I really hate. I think he's got enough good stuff in there to, to give him a little credit for his, his musical abilities. Um, so hopefully, you know, you don't, it doesn't have to be tainted by any sort of Morgan Wallen type behavior from him in the future. Yes. And, and good for him, but I would also like to know when the apology is coming for wearing Crocs. 
<laughs> he is such an ardent Crocs guy. He has his own like Luke Combs flannel lined <laughs> camo Crocs with the little doodads just sticking them. <laughs> And motherfucker, I know you wear Crocs too. So when's your apology coming? <laughs> well, I will. Uh, I will tell you. I have admit- admittedly recently acquired a pair of Crocs. Uh, my future sister-in-law, uh, friend of the pod, Validia, she uh, she's a Crocs enthusiast, and she's and she has worked for Crocs, so she's able to get us, you know, get us some discounted kicks, so to speak. Um, so she got us some for Christmas. They say. Uh, that there's little things that you can put on them, the little charms. Uh, they say the pooch troop in honor of, uh, in honor of the two dachshunds that we have, Nina and Darla. Um, they've got a, another picture of a little weenie dog. I've got the Mandalorian helmet on there. Nice. Uh, I think it's Boba Fett. I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's Pedro Pascal. Um, and yeah, they're, they're actually very comfortable to wear around the house. I'm, I'm not going to wear them in public. You don't have to worry about that. All I'm right. not Matt Reno. I'll let I'm not the... Matt Reno. Oh, oh yeah. fuck. All right, I will let this one slide. Matt Reno, we are coming for your ass. <laughs> yeah. You better wear your best Crocs for running through the jungle, my friend. We yeah, you better put them in you. sport mode. <laughs> better put them in sport mode. <laughs> oh, tremendous. Oh, man, lots of friends of the pod getting shout-outs. I think the most important one this week, though, is Mr. Brandon Martin, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, we're going full government names on the pod. Hope you don't mind, Brandon. Um, gave us actually two album suggestions for this week uh the first one childish gambino's album camp from 2011 so a decade ago jesus christ yeah i don't know if i, I was i had to whisper that just to make sure it landed a little softer um and also much more recent from last year 2020 katie pruitt's expectations album um so we're we both were pretty familiar with camp i think the gambino album um i had heard of katie pruitt never really like listened to much of her music i think i'd heard the title track before um but that's about it um this childish gambino camp album is is one i was very familiar with and you know we picked a few songs i think we picked six each from each album just to go over in depth so apologies if we don't cover your favorite song but let us know what that is if we miss it um and if there's anything you disagree with you know just let us know but uh, you know i think we're both going to have some good things to say about these ones um and did he had he reached out to you or did he reach out to the instagram i think he reached out on the gram i think that was a dm i think maybe one of them was left yeah katie pruitt was a dm gambino was left in the comments on our food post okay okay um yeah so we were it's always nice to hear from our listeners so thanks for listening brandon um we'll start we're gonna start with the childish gambino camp album um and the first and for people that aren't familiar this is donald glover um of community fame um Derek comedy way back in the day if you want to see some really offensive things that definitely would not fly anymore Derek comedy's got plenty of those all pretty funny though um and as well as he was in that movie with rihanna right uh guava island yeah guava yeah so he was in that and also lando calrissian yeah in the star wars universe in uh the solo movie um guy that's many talents very talented rapper i think people didn't really see that coming um camp was his debut album and the first song on it outside is one of the ones that i chose as one that i really enjoyed um you know i think it's you know he's very i guess if you want to call it a conscious rapper you know if that's if that's a thing like a like a kid cutty or common you know or any of these ones that are very you know, that, that's more about, you know, the thought process, kind of bigger subjects than like street life, things like that. Um, so this first song jumps right into it, you know, with with kind of talking about, 
you know, the song outside is it's a constant struggle of kind of wanting something better, but that comes with people questioning like, Oh, well, if you want something better, what do you think you're too good for the situation you're in now? You know, that they're also part of. So it's all, it's this kind of to boil it down to simple terms. Like, are you a sellout? You know, are you, Mm -hmm. are you willing to be a sellout kind Mm -hmm. of thing? Um, And it's a very, very good opener to the album. And I think a good opener to like who childish Gambino is, as a music artist versus who Donald Glover is as an actor. Yes, and that I think it exactly is the most interesting part about it is that idea. So he's this this young black kid who was raised around these other like white people who were like, mm-hmm. "Oh, you're a spaz and we have very like specific notions of you and you don't really fit into black culture either." Like that's a running theme on this album is like what is black culture? How do mm-hmm. I not fit into it? I'm black. I have a say in what the culture is. You can't yeah. tell me I don't fit in. I'm just opening up a new facet of it. However, it takes a while to get to that point where you realize that, where there's no true Scotsman. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. this song is kind of like about that struggle. And that's kind of like, again, I'm not, a, I always have to have the caveat, not equating my experience to the black experience. <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, I understand what it was like to be a really weird little kid who would, like, I would just annoy people with, like, weird sounds and characters. I was just like mm-hmm. a little baby David Lynch character, just, like, <laughs> sitting on the swing, smoking a cigarette, staring into the void, just being like, I like the idea of a dark road, like, just a weirdo. And he was, too. And I think that's reflected in his work with Derek Comedy because that's him and three white guys. And the yeah. comedy is, like, not even like social it's based on the weirdest strangest shit like they have a skit like don't Mm -hmm. jack off to this picture of a bowl of fruit like yeah it's a weird weird sense of humor that they cultivated and he's a very hard person to peg and this song is about some of the not necessarily guilt but some of the i think self-doubt and the questions that come with like Mm -hmm. i know what i like i know what's funny i know what my style is but a lot of people will give you side eye for it and it's kind of working through those feelings. So I thought it was interesting for that reason. Yeah. And and he's got, you know, he starts right out to and you realize how funny yeah. he is as a rapper too. Um, just really kind of biting commentary on a lot of things, you know, where it's like it's it's definitely like black comedy, you know, where not not the sense of like his skin color, but like the kind of comedy where it hurts to laugh at. Yeah. You know, it's it's the the kind of Kurt Vonnegut kind of comedy where it's like, oh, I'm laughing because he said it in a funny way, but man, that's that's a real deal bad yeah. situation. You know what I mean? Um, it's, you know, he talks about how everybody always says like, oh, you think you're too good to be in our, you know, in our lives anymore now that you're this big shot, this big star and everything. But they still are getting hold of his parents um, trying to get Donald Glover, Childish Gambino to like read their movie script or like listen to their album and things like that. It's like they're going to tell him that he's wrong for wanting to leave, but also treat him as if he's a way out for them as well. You know, it's just like, it's a very, I feel like a very hard world that he gets forced to live in by these people. It sounds like maybe his loved ones, his his family doesn't really do that to him. Yeah. Um, But it's hard to exist in a world where you're not sure of people's motivations for wanting to interact with you, you know, and that's got to, and I feel like when you immediately get to that point, like I feel like he went from not very famous to very famous very quickly. You know, I think when he came out with this album, everybody was like, wow, this guy is really good. Um, and all of a sudden he was into all these parties. Like he was being able to talk to all these people that never gave him the time of day before. Um, and, and 
you know, he's got to try to exist in that world as well as trying to still exist in the one that he grew up in and is comfortable with, even though they're now telling him, like, well, you don't belong here anymore. Yeah. And it's you interesting. That, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, like, uh, it, it, he's had an interesting life because he got his start writing for 30 Rock at the age of 23. He wrote a Simpsons mm-hmm. spec script that was so good that whoever he sent it to gave it to Tina Fey and she immediately gave him a job writing on 30 Rock. Yeah. In fact, I'm fairly certain he wrote one of my favorite episodes um, of a show that I don't otherwise love, but he just like yeah. absolutely murdered the one that if, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's fantastic. Um, but I mean, so at 23 to have that level of access and, and I get it. If you're a staff writer on a show, you're not immediately influential, but to get onto a writing staff of a big comedy show like that at mm-hmm. 23, you have chops. And yeah. He could go in the writing direction. He's an incredibly talented comedic performer. So he winds up doing community starting in, I want to say, like 2009, I think is Mm -hmm. when that started. Um, Very funny show. He's amazing in it. He also wants to be a a rapper. I mean, he's got a line in one of these songs. When are people going to start calling James Franco the white Donald Glover? Yeah. So it's like, oh, James Franco's this deep, interesting guy because he <laughs> writes a bunch of poetry and it studies poetry and whatever. I'm like, whatever, fuck that. <laughs> like, Donald Glover is a true polymath and a really interesting guy, and he's not up his own ass about it. He's just really interested yeah. in these things and wants to express himself and has all these thoughts going on. But how do you do all that when you have people outside being like, we need you to fit into all these different boxes. So I almost think the idea of outside, like there's a world outside, there's a world outside your head where Mm -hmm. all of this is taking place and all you're just like kind of driving yourself nuts, but also motivating yourself to move forward. But if you can just escape from this for a moment, you can just be present in the moment. Yeah. 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 That's it's, it's really, you know, I think as far as openers go, you know, I think I already mentioned it's a great one. Um, moves right into kind of subject matter wise. You know, I think it fits right into the next song, Firefly. Mm-hmm. You know, I think as far as kind of that, like, how do you fit in somewhere where people are telling you you don't belong? You know, and it's that same idea where it's like, how is he supposed to feel comfortable anywhere if he's never made to feel comfortable anywhere? You know, except for maybe yeah. his home with his parents, like who probably, you know, that's who it, he identifies the most with. But it's like. His friends don't look like him. You know, he might be into the same things they are, but since they don't look alike, he's like, which culture am I really part of here? You know, and I think it's a really eye-opening song, you know, especially when it came out in 2011, you know, I was 24. So, you know, it's not as if I had a lot of worldly experience at that point. So it was a perspective I wasn't totally familiar with and hadn't given a whole lot of thought to, you know, but it's one of those times in my life where it's like I feel like I took a step at understanding something outside of the world that I was dealing with you know Um, and this album was certainly part of that you know kind of you know with how funny it is it draws you in it keeps it interesting for these bigger subjects of like every individual's journey is different than everybody else's you know it's it's tough to find where you belong if you're never made to feel comfortable anywhere well, and he references, he's got a line in this song, the only black kid at the Sufjan concert. And I think about, like, Sufjan Stevens is the whitest music ever. Yeah. It really, really is. Um, and I, It I, certainly is. I, like, I'm, that's not a knock on Sufjan. I'm not, yeah. like, the biggest fan, but, like, <laughs> holy moly. 
Um, but this is the song where it was what I was talking about before, where he's kind of having this reckoning with black culture. What is black culture? And he says in this song, I know there have to be young black kids who are crying out for something else. It's not that they don't like what they have, but they want something more. They want something different. And if I can give that to them, that is the culture. The culture mm-hmm. is whatever we make it. So yep. this is his attempt to, I think it's, it's vindication to against anyone that ever told him he couldn't make it or it was too weird or black people won't buy this or black people won't listen to this. I yep. think this is in part his vindication, but it's also not like a, uh, fuck you. You know what I mean? It's more mm-hmm. uplifting than that. It's about like, hey, I am proof that, you know, our uh, no fate but what you make. Frontiers are where you find them. So if you have something interesting that you want to put out there, there's an audience for it. And your blackness should not be questioned at any point. So I think yeah. it's an interesting song on that level. Yeah. And and it's, yeah, I think it, it's really lyrically, I think even funnier even better than than outside mm-hmm. you know he, he's got lines like uh all i do is make stuff i would have liked reference things i want to watch reference girls i want to bite you know he's <laughs> now on firefly like a burning kite and use a fake fuck like a fleshlight i mean it's just like it's just so interesting the way he puts words together and it's like so many punchlines one after another after another you know i think a lot of people are looked at as like a punchline rapper is like a thing that you know, gets thrown around if somebody doesn't have a lot of substance to what they're saying. But, you know, this album, especially his punchlines are the substance, you know, it is, it is what ties those ideas back together at the end of each, you know, each couplet that he says, you know, so you laugh, but then it makes you think about why'd I just laugh? You know, what words did he use to make me just do that? And you realize just how good he is at kind of fitting things together um, in a way that never gets boring. You know, it never gets to a point where it's like, oh, I'm not interested in what I want to do. Because as soon as he settles into a style and you're like, oh, okay, this is what he's doing for this song, he changes it up. You know, he changes up the cadence that he's using. You know, I think he is as interested in keeping things interesting for us as he is for himself, you know, when he when he makes music. And I think it's something that, you know, throughout his career has progressed. But especially on this album, you got a sense that even from beginning to end of this album, there's changes you can see him go through. You know, it's not just you don't recognize his growth from album to album. It's like you recognize it the whole entire time that you're listening to it. And it's just a really good experience. Yeah, he's all over the place on this one. Yeah. And moving right into Bonfire, which for me is like the best pure hip hop rap song on this album. I mean, it's just as far as punchlines go, he's got him in spades on this one. It's just really, really incredible song. Yeah. And and. The interesting so bonfire. The reason that I picked this one was I was not going to steal heartbeat from you because when we <laughs> talked about this, you were like heartbeat's making my list for sure, and I was like, all right, so I got to pick something else. <laughs> um, and you're right; it's definitely the most pure rap song on the album, and I think for that reason, I, I I've said this before with other artists. I think that almost makes it the least interesting one on the album, which is why mm-hmm. I picked it. Because I think it's an interesting contrast between some of the deeper, more self-reflective stuff that he's doing, some of the more interesting stuff that he's doing on mm-hmm. the album. This is very, like, this. we've seen this kind of thing before. That's not a knock on him, like, he shouldn't have done it, it's a bad song. It's not yeah. bad at all. 
but it's just in the grand scheme of things, it's maybe the least interesting thing he did on the yeah. album by being the most conventional, which I think then serves as a testament to all the innovative experimental stuff that you're doing. You are on the right track with that. So it serves as a contrast yeah. for me. Yeah. And it, it's, I, I think this one just is him proving he's like, well, if you want me to be just a rapper, you know, he's like, I'm not interested in just doing this, but let me show you how good I would be at doing this if this was all I chose to do. Right. Um, and, and, you know, for me, it's just like anybody that can, you know, none of it, like on this one, especially, there's probably not a lot of stuff that, you know, is that deep, you know, or really that you have to read too much between the lines to understand or anything like that. You know, there's no big, broad message that he's trying to deliver this and other than just the fact that he is a very good rapper. Yeah, and, and he can wrap himself around a beat as well as anybody. And you know, it's just you know, for me, for me that's why I appreciate it cuz I'm like, well, yeah. he just it's just muscle for muscle's sake. You know, it's just like it's it's just for him to show I'm really good at this too. You know, and it, not necessarily that you're going to get a huge deep message out of it. It's just like this is going to be fun to listen to because I'm just as good as anybody at doing this. Yeah, it's like Denny Hamlin parallel parking a car. You know what I mean? Like I can do <laughs> yeah. this, but I can do so much more. <laughs> That's the only racer I know at this point. So I wonder if he can. I, you know, do you think NASCAR drivers are like as good at driving in just real life as they are at driving in a circle? Do you think that happens? That's an interesting question. I would. I would love to know. I would love to see some da- hard data on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if Days of Thunder is any indication, you know, they're probably just racing each other all the time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. This one's just for pride points, baby. <laughs> Oh, great movie if people haven't seen that one. Yeah, hell yeah. Great film. Um, yeah, did you have anything? I can certainly understand as well on Bonfire, like why you would think it's the least interesting one on there. Um, you know, I think me being, you know, such a big fan of like DMX mm-hmm. and Dr. Dre and stuff growing yeah. up, I think more so than like most of our friends, you know, I can appreciate, I think, more than a lot of people a just good, pure rap song. And you hear like, you hear it in here with him too, where he's like super aggressive with his delivery. Yeah. And again, I'm not trying to shit on this is just an observation, but like when he gets really fired up, he sounds almost like childlike to me. Yeah. So I, I sometimes have a hard time buying it just a little bit. Like I'll kind of smile to myself and be like, and I'll think of him in like Derek comedy or in community or something and be like, yeah. Okay. Which honestly was the reason why he left community. Cause you talk about like rap being a game predicated on credibility. Yeah. A lot of people were like, Oh, you're on this corny ass show written by this, you know, fat white guy, Dan Harmon. (laughs) And so I think that fucked with him for a while was like, people aren't taking me seriously in the rap game because I'm on community. I kind of need to put some distance between me and this. Not that I'm not proud of it, but I kind of need to go do my own thing. Um, I certainly understand that. And I think this is, this is one of those songs that is motivated. I think by that idea of like, you can't do this. Like you're not authentic. And him being like, Mm -hmm. well, what is authentic? Here, I'll do exactly what it is you say I can't do. I'll do it yeah. well. I'll pitch myself the fucking 95-mile-an-hour fastball, hit it out of the park, and go catch it in the parking lot. And, yeah. and, like, will you believe me then? So he's almost proving a point with it. Yeah, exactly. And that's and I think that's a big part of, you know, the this hip-hop culture that he's said that he always struggled with. He, like, am I really part of this? You know, because I don't look the part. You know, I don't act the part. You know, that kind of thing. He's like, am I really part of that culture? You know, and I think this is him saying, you know, it's part of that bravado that I love, 
about rap music yeah. is it, you know it's displayed in spades in this song you know and that's and that's why it's such an enjoyable listen to me but not quite as enjoyable as heartbeat because i'll tell you what of all the songs on this album this was the first one i heard from this album and i still listen to it constantly this song has been on every rap playlist that i've made every like dance music playlist that i've made since it came out in 2011 it is to me the best song on the album you know it's it's his best song he's ever done and it's just an incredible one front to back for me this could uh this could 100 percent slot in off something like 808s and heartbreaks mm-hmm. like it's it's got that sound all over just smeared all over the track yeah um and i love it because it's like in essence a fairly standard i'm great at fucking song right it's a booty call song. Yeah. But like I love things like he abandons the rhyme scheme at certain points just to prove that point. You know yep. what I mean? Like this kind of is the anthem of like call me beat me if you want to bleep me kind of thing like <laughs> and like it's not a deep thinker but it is so much fun. It is such a fun song. It it's an absolute like you get up and move. It's perfect. It's perfect. It doesn't mm-hmm. need to be any more than what it is. Yeah. And I mean, it's if nothing else on this song, you know, the line where he says, I'm coming straight for your thighs like the cake you ate. <laughs> I mean, it's just if that doesn't encapsulate who Childish Gambino is on this album, you know, I don't know what does. I mean, it's just a, a your classic song about like you're going to you're spending you're not taking seriously the ones that you should. And you're taking seriously the ones that don't deserve it or you probably shouldn't be wasting your time on, you know, because you're young and you're worried about like, oh, I don't want to be totally tied down and miss out on this other thing that the ones where you would consider that you push even further away. Mm-hmm. So all you keep around you are folks that just say the things to make you feel good, you know, just very kind of fly by night relationships. And it's like, is are those real serious ones still going to be there when you're ready to like settle down? You know, you don't know because you don't know how long this is going to this sort of phase is going to last. And it's just. The lyrics are perfect on it because I think it's just it gets inside your own head. It's like, well, I've felt this way before, like, you know, when you're in your early 20s and kind of. Shooting from the hip, you Mm -hmm. know, in a a lot of ways in your life, you know, Um, (laughs) it's hard to like when you see something serious, it's like, am I ready for that? Yeah. And you're not, so you push it away. And I think that's the that's the kind of thing that he's talking about in this song. And it's just, but the way he says it is so much more clever than than I could have ever come up with. You know, so that's why I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a great anthem for uh, throwing hip, as we say up here in the north. <laughs> it is a really, I mean, just as far the beat on this song is is kind of unlike anything that had happened before it. You know, it was, it was right at the cusp of that kind of EDM revolution that yeah. we went through with like Calvin Harris and Avicii and that kind of stuff. It was one of those first like big songs that had that real heavy, dense electronic disco beat, you know, that we hadn't heard since the 90s with like the European kind of club kid revolution that happened back then. It's just like a very, very interesting song lyrically, but you put it all together with the music and it's just about perfect. Yeah, and I almost I had to like stop myself a couple times and remember the context. Like this is from 2011 because there were certain mm-hmm. points where I'm like, "Is he just ripping off the weekend at this point?" And then I'm like, "Whoa, <laughs> wait a second now." 
Yeah, I mean, you could even say I think they were right around the same time, honestly. That you know, because I think the weekend has been a good decade now, at least. Yeah. that he's that he's been releasing stuff. I think the um, first one came out in 2012. Don't quote me on that, but yeah. So I mean, very well could have been that Childish Gambino was influencing him. Mm, yes. Yeah, very well could be the case. But he, you know, he talks about um, you know, turn your phone over when it's all over. No settling down. My texts go to your screen. Like he's like you can try to hide the fact that we're talking, but you can't, you know, just like that's his way of saying like, we've got these feelings for each other. We might as well do it. You know, it might not be a good idea, but we might as well do it. Yeah. And it's just, it's a booty call, booty call song, like obviously through and through, but you know, he's good at adding in, you know, a couple other layers to this one of like a bigger kind of life advice sort of thing where he's like, yeah, you could do this sort of thing, but you know, you're going to just be in a constant cycle of like, continuing to do it until you decide to break that yeah you know and i think it's it's a really good song i I mean i don't know how many probably a couple hundred times i've listened to it in my life i mean i've listened to it a lot it's a great song yeah no it it sure is yeah um the next one was one that you had picked les yes standing for lower east side so this one i will offer a caveat at the risk of being that guy who lived in New York for a year and does nothing but talk about New York and all the places in it and what a wonderful experience and <laughs> knows all the insider lingo. I don't give a fuck. That's the appeal of the song to me. You guys can go to hell. I lived in New York. I'll let you guys know it at every opportunity. And the Lower East Side is whack as shit. It's full of hipsters. I hated it. Um <laughs> <laughs> and he definitely reflects that in this song. Uh, also calls me out directly, talking about living in Brooklyn, writing a screenplay. So fuck you too, Donald. <laughs> you bastard. He really did. He really did. He wrote this one for you 10 years before you got there. That line comes up and I'm like, God damn it, I'm a stereotype. <laughs> fuck me. Um, and I tell you what, some advice for you guys. Don't date outside your borough. You know, if you live in Brooklyn, date in Brooklyn. You live in Queens, date in Queens. Hell, don't date outside your neighborhood. It's just difficult. <laughs> it's just too big. The city's too fucking big. <laughs> but that's like kind of why this song is fun because it's him talking about like, you know, going around prowling for some partners in the trade of toe curling, shall we say, uh-huh. on the Lower East Side where it's everyone there i I mean everyone there again no true scotsman but like there there is a pervasive fakeness to the lower Mm -hmm. east side where it's just a lot of put on so again this idea of like can you make a connection with someone or are you pretty much just borrowing friction from a stranger and that's like kind of what this song is about is like you know if you're from somewhere other than new york city and you wind up there and you're trying to date it is a mind fuck because there's this lyric in the song, mm-hmm. did I write it down? I don't think I did. Crap. <laughs> I have it um, up here. If you give me a, a little. It's the very top. Can you just start the song for me? Uh, is it a New York nines and yes. everywhere else six? That's time wise. The opposite goes for chicks. Yes. So it's it's that sentiment that like time moves differently in the city, but also some of the most beautiful women on the planet in New York city. And so like, once again, it's a fun anthem from Donald Glover from childish Gambino about something as fun and simple, but as complicated and as terrifying as 
dating in a city like New York. You're putting yourself out there. You never know what you're going to get. I went on some dates that I thought were going to be dumpster fires that were really fun. I went on some I was really looking forward to that I was scared for my life by the end of them. So like, <laughs> it's just kind of fun to hear that experience in a song and reminisce about you know, what could have been if Corona hadn't driven me back to my hole in Vermont. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you and Rory got, got chased right out of there. Yeah. We would have anyway, but... Yeah. You know, it, it's... Again, I think it, it goes to a theme that he sticks to a lot on this album, which is kind of being surrounded by people that you, that you don't relate to, necessarily. Yeah. Um, or that don't relate to you. You know, so it's it's kind of... You, you feel like a little bit of an outsider, a little bit of a loner, um, and then trying to go in to, like, you know, fulfill basic human needs... Mm-hmm. you know picking a neighborhood like the lower east side is is a little tough you know and i haven't spent a ton of time in new york city mostly around Yankee stadium and, and a little bit in brooklyn um but it's like it, from what you've said about it it is a very like there's very distinct parts of the city and the lower east side you know as he describes seems like the more hipster part i think i could relate to that a little bit living in austin texas for mm-hmm. those that aren't familiar it's kind of the hipster capital of the south i would think at this point um Maybe Nashville is it yeah. gives it a gives it a good run for its money on that, um, but I can I can certainly understand where he's coming from with this, with being around a lot of people that you don't really relate to that well, you know, because it's you know nowhere is like Vermont, nowhere is like growing up in Vermont. It just doesn't. There's not another place on the planet that feels like it. Um, so it's like it's hard to relate to people that have just grown up in Texas and like this has just been their way of life forever. Yeah, you know when you hear about when you hear about things that are like the things they got taught in school versus what we did, you know, that the civil war is about states rights, you know, not, not about slavery. You know, it's, it was called the war of Northern aggression, you know, and that kind of stuff, you know, it's just like the, the experience is different when you're in an area that you're not totally familiar with and you didn't grow up in. And I think I completely understand where he's coming from with this song. Well, and especially like in the context of Vermont, where the difference between like trying to hook up in Hardwick versus <laughs> trying to hook up in on the Lower East Side. On the Lower East Side, you have to like act like you're into all these things. Be like, oh yeah. my God, that's so random. You're so unique, and you kind of have to be full of shit and meet these people on their level of shitfulness. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Hardwick, you just look at each other and go, cold out tonight. Yep. We're and then related, you just right? walk into the bedroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We better check each other's driver's licenses. <laughs> Just make sure there's no common ancestry. And that's pretty much it. It's just trying to keep warm on a cold winter's night. It could be that simple. Yeah, that's all he's looking for. Yeah. He just happens to be looking on the Lower East Side. It's just too damn complicated. I don't recommend it. Yeah. Um, Now, the last song we're going to get to on this one is Hold You Down. Um, Now, this is... Let's see. Let me get my lyrics up here. Oh, here we go. Yeah, so this is one that I really, um, really enjoyed because it's it really kind of asks the questions about like kind of what world do you fit into? You know, is it the one that you're trying to be in or one that you're kind of forced to be in? You know, is it something that you could change? You know, and what happens if you do try to change that? Um, and I think it's just him. It's about him growing up. You know, he says he, st- he goes to the lost and found to steal some Tommy Hilfiger clothing so that he can feel more connected to kind of the hip hop culture that was at his school but then they knew immediately when he was wearing it that you know you know those clothes don't fit you like those are, that's not what you wear that's not your style like you know so it's like he tries to be part of them and relate to them but then when he does that they say 
it's he's actually relating them even less because they've cast him further away now you know and it's just it's just a very interesting look at you know how do you deal with that when you're growing up you know and, and you don't have a lot you don't have a lot of resources to help you with that and all you keep getting told wherever you go is like well do you belong here yeah you know it's just a very weird thing to deal with and it's got to be at a certain level traumatizing you know well, and it clearly is because he's written about this more than once. Um, part of the reason I wanted to bring this song up was there was the show Atlanta that he does, mm-hmm. which if you out there have not seen it, it go fucking watch it. It's on Hulu. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, it's still on Hulu. Um, it's fucking awesome. It's really good. It's really surreal. It's funny. It's interesting. Um, and it kind of shows the depth of Donald Glover, the person. Um, well, this is something he's written about on the show. He did an entire episode that was a flashback to his character, Earn when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. Slightly different details. Um, but he really wanted this FUBU jacket, and his parents didn't have a ton of money, so his mom got him a knockoff. And there was this other kid in the class who had, like, the real deal. And yeah. then when Donald Glover showed up, or I guess in the context of the show, when Earn shows up in the, the FUBU, everyone's like, is that real? And he goes, yep, sure is. And he's worried about being found out as a fraud. And it just like mm-hmm. creates this whole spiral about authenticity, which is something yeah. we talk about in music all the time, particularly when we talk about punk is the mm-hmm. ethos of authenticity. And like, well, what is authenticity really? And how badly does it matter? So yeah, it's something that can plague you though. If you feel like you're a fraud, if you feel like you're an imposter, that's going to take up so much space in your head. You're not going to have the Ram to do the things that you really want to do that make you unique rather than trying to fit in. Like David Lynch references. This is the second David Lynch reference I've gotten in. Mm -hmm. So that reminds me, Frank Zappa. um, (laughs) I was going to say, there's one name I haven't heard yet. (laughs) We got him. Don't worry. Um, But David Lynch talks about Van Gogh and he's like, everyone assumes that Van Gogh was talented because he was mentally ill. I look at it like I think painting brought him the only happiness he ever experienced. Mm-hmm. He didn't paint out of a place of depression. He painted out of a place of escape. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's another theme that's wrapped up in this song, too, is the idea of adversity making great art. And it's something else that he does on Atlanta, the Teddy Perkins episode. I will say yep. nothing else about that episode other than go watch it. It is absolutely <laughs> fucking terrifying. It's like a mini version of Get Out. It is fucking wild um but the it just goes to show you there are a lot of themes that i think are baked deep into who donald glover is that he's really interested in tackling Mm -hmm. in different forms so i liked this song because it it was a precursor to a lot of the things that i saw and loved in atlanta yeah and and it certainly is you know i didn't i actually didn't make that connection i watched atlanta and loved it um but yeah that makes a lot of sense like a lot of things that he talks about you know, I'm thinking of scenes in that. And the, the other thing is the the supporting cast in that show is yeah. also great. You know, and I think that's the real key to a television show being really great. You know, you can't have your like 90s sitcoms now where it's one star yep. and a bunch of hangers on. You know, it, it's got to be with the amount of content available to people. It's got to be a all around great production and Atlanta definitely is. And I think they have a pretty small budget. You know, I think it was something that he just kind of fought to get made. Um, and they were like, okay, you can, because of what he'd done in the past, they gave him a little bit to work with. And it's just, it's blossomed. It's yeah. a great show. It really it's a is. Great show. 
Yep, it's awesome. Brian Tyree yeah. Henry, Lakeith Stanfield, Zazie Beats. Like, it's just mm-hmm. got a fucking absolutely loaded cast. It's, yeah. it's, and they all get an episode to themselves to develop those characters. It's amazing. It's great stuff. Yeah. I cannot wait for the next season, which is not yeah. coming for another year. So, well, it'll get here. And speaking of Lakeith Stanfield, just watched Judas and the Black Messiah. Ooh, yeah, I want to see that. That was a great film. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Great film. Keep in mind when you watch that, that at the time of those events, Fred Hampton was 21 years old. This is HBO. It's on, right? Yes. Okay. He was in his late teens and up to 21. Goddamn. Maybe I'll watch that tonight. On. It's, it was great. We watched it last night and it was, it was great. Sick. It was really great. Yeah. Now I will say back to the childish Gambino. That's kind of the last song we were going to go over. Um, Overall, absolutely go stream that album. Yes. If you haven't heard that before, it's been out a long time, so I'm sure you've probably heard Heartbeat at least, but go stream that album because it is really, it is a really good one. Yep, I second that. Yes. And now moving on to the other more recent album by Katie Pruitt, Expectations, uh, came out February 2020, I think, um, and somebody can fact check me on that. But it's, So it's been out for just about a year, um, and we're finally getting to it. It's not somebody I'd heard of outside of the one song, the title track, Expectations. Um, but man, oh man, this album was something. Well, and you talk about like a young prodigy too. She's 26. Wow. And I okay. think as a blanket statement overall on her, what I love is, and this may sound weird, she has an old soul and a very childlike sound and not like mm-hmm. baby voice but yeah she has a very young bright forward mm. sound and like a maturity that backs it it's it's yeah. really kind of wild to hear her at 26 and brandon when he sent this to us was like it's a mix of brandy carlisle and um stevie nicks and i certainly mm-hmm. hear that but oh, i yeah. almost hear like casey musgraves more than anything mm-hmm. in that same kind of delivery that's like not too harsh but it's also not like a little girl yeah it's just this like old soul in this very bright youthful sound it's fucking awesome yeah she hits you know and she really she can really sing too yeah and there's a lot of songs where she just doesn't you know she keeps that arrow in the in the quiver you know and she doesn't bother to because it's you know probably just didn't feel like the song called for it but when she decides to pull that out and really start belting she can do it you know and and it's and it really seems kind of similar at some points to margot price even as well just with the vocal register that she has um and you are absolutely correct where it's like she definitely has you know and it's hard like what other word than childlike could we really use i guess Mm -hmm. um you know it's a very pure sound to her voice you know it's it's not in it and i do hear a lot of early stevie nicks especially on the first song that we're going to talk about um expectations like yeah. that sound like straight up like a fleetwood mac song it sounds like dreams me. yeah yeah exactly you know and and i think if you were to put that in the fleetwood mac catalog you know lyrically it would fit in as well um but she definitely has that you know it's not like how stevie nicks nowadays you can hear that her voice is you know gotten a little gruffer you know is, has kind of dropped and register it sounds like that purity before you know age kind of takes its toll on your vocal cords which you know father time comes for everybody you know it doesn't you know it might be later than for some than others but 
does come for everybody eventually. And she's right now at, at the point of her career where she's still got all of that vocal prowess. And it shows in so many different areas on this album. Um, it was really enjoyable to listen to because I never think she really hits the wrong feeling at any given point. You know, you can buy or sell the lyrics, you know, whether that you relate to them or not, or, you know, the subject matter that she's going into. Um, me personally, I'm buying just about all of it. And it's it's the kind of thing where it's like you never feel like the delivery of what she's trying to say is out of place. You know, you never feel like she's trying to really force any ideas like this is just all stuff that is in her head that she wants to get out. You know, and I feel like she doesn't put expectations on other people <laughs> with her music. You know, it's it's not. Yeah, yeah, it's it's she doesn't put any other um you know, the way she does it, it's like, how does this relate to me? And that's all I'm responsible for. Right. You know, is how do I, how do I function in this situation is the only thing I'm responsible for. But she gives credit to other people for her doing the right things or changing her life and things like that. But, you know, I feel like she's quick to own her own shit as well. Um, and it's a really good album overall. And this song, Expectations, like I said, very Fleetwood Mac vibes, so smooth. Yeah, just so so smooth, um, and it's and it's you can't care too much about what others think about you or what you know they're gonna do to you because you're not gonna get far if you're always afraid. You know, I think she says at one point she says I was scared to jump, so I was scared to fall. Yep. You know, so it's like you don't even get started on your journey if you don't start to get you know a little bit scared of what you're doing. You know, and I think it's just a really good entry point into the album. The first two songs are great, but this was the one where I was just like, damn. It where it's where it took it to another level where I'm like, I'm really gonna like this album. And it, it was this song that did it. Yeah, and it's it's a song expectations is relatable. The idea of mm -hmm. like, well, we've all got certain expectations as parents, as children, as siblings, as friends, as lovers, whatever. We we deal with either what we know to be expected of us or what we perceive to be expected of us. So that's relatable. But in terms of where she's coming from, it's everything we've already put on her. Oh, this girl's got a great voice. Uh, she's got such maturity. She's only 26. She was on, like, uh, BMI's, like, 20 to watch. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, she, like, she won, like, the Buddy Holly Award for, like, emerging artists. Like, she has been all over. The People are exposed to her and they go, yeah, this is one to watch. And you can look at a phenomenon like Billie Eilish, my girl, mm -hmm. Billie. Um, and she's definitely a phenomenon. Her artistry and presence, I don't think get talked about in quite the same way. Cause she just hit so immediately. Right. And yeah. like resonated so effortlessly. Mm -hmm. Someone like Katie Pruitt, I think, is asking a little more of you and is working in a more traditional medium, that Americana and folk. Yeah. So I'm not saying uh, this is no shit on Billie Eilish, but I think the experimental stuff she's doing can kind of reframe the conversation a little more and insulate her as a person and her themes and her talents a mm -hmm. little bit more from from the the analysis that Katie Pruitt is subject to because it's all yeah. right there. She's not trying to reinvent the wheel. So you can't talk about that. You can only mm -hmm. talk about what's right in front of you. And yeah. everyone has put great expectations on Katie Pruitt, but it's her saying like, it's very scary, but I will rise to the occasion and yeah. not for anyone but myself. Like, it's great yeah. that you guys all believe in me, but I just want this very badly. So my expectations are the ones that matter. Yeah. 
And I think, and that's such a good sentiment, you know, it's hold people responsible for the things that they do to you, but ultimately how you deal with things is your responsibility. And I think that's, you know, I think that's an admirable thing, especially for somebody, you know, 26 years old. I hate to think of the fact that that's, you know, seven years younger than me. Like I hate to think of the fact that I'm 33 years old already, (laughs) you know, and I can look back and I can look at somebody that's 26 and be like, yeah, at that age, you know, that's a very admirable thing to be thinking, you know, um, that I'm far enough removed from that age to be able to say that sort of thing is a little bit, a little bit unsettling for me. But, you know, I think, I think it does speak to her maturity as a person that her music is, is becoming so mature. Um, and it, and I think it's, if she stays true to that, you know, she can have a career very similar to like a Jason Isbell or somebody like that, where it's like, they are going to write the songs they want to write, how they want to write them, sing them how they want to sing them. And if people want to come and see that great, if they don't, they're not going to regret how they've done it because they did it the way they wanted to, you know, and I think she's, you know, she deal she's so able to deal with things from her past, you know, the same way childish Gambino does in camp and how he grew up and not fitting in, you know, she talks about that same sort of thing growing up in a Catholic school, you know, and I think you and I can relate to that as well. Having both gone to Catholic schools at a certain point in our elementary school and middle school careers, you know, it's, it's an environment that makes you question who you are as a person. If you don't completely agree with or fit in exactly with the teachings that they're trying to give to you. And she clearly didn't, you know, being, I don't think I'm wrong, assuming, um, you know, LGBTQ in a, in a Catholic school, you know, that could be a tough situation to be in, especially when you find out for sure, like, you're not just confused, like, you know, for sure that you are, you know, and it, and it's just tough because it's like everything I've taught, everything I've been taught was, this is wrong. Well, you know, how do I become okay with myself? And let's use this opportunity to dive right into the song Normal, which is about Mm -hmm. exactly that. It is about being brought up with certain specific, very Catholic values, growing up in the South, um, and realizing slowly but surely that you are gay. She is gay. Um, Mm -hmm. And talks specifically in this song about the person that helped her see that and how can something that felt so right be so wrong, that feels so fundamental to your personality and how you choose to love people, how can that be a dangerous and subversive thing. And that's got to fuck with you. And, and again, not to personalize everything, but I did grow up in a religious household. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point you audit your beliefs and go, how much of this is bullshit? How much of this do I still believe? And it'll fuck with you. And in this song, she asked, what's it like to be normal? What mm-hmm. would it be like if I just didn't have these thoughts I could fit in and I wasn't at this crossroads, but you can't avoid it. And to her credit, she doesn't back down. So again, yeah. it's that maturity we talk about. Yeah, it's it, you. Know, I think the sense in general is, um, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah, and I'm not going to try to. You know, it's that she got she figured out that she was different, and you know, it's funny that you know, obviously in a Catholic school, this has probably happened to countless people. You know, and I think it's it's statistically. It, it happens all the time. You know, yeah. it's like they're, they're gay people are going to continue to exist in this world. Like, it's just that is the way it is. So there are going to be gay people that grow up in the Catholic Church and grow up in other religions that, you know, have similar views on that. Um, and I think it's important for people like Katie Pruitt, who have grown up in those environments, that she doesn't sound like she ever just totally disregards the idea of religion. No. You know, she's still like later in the album, she's still 
worried about what God is going to think of her as a person. I think she's comfortable in that, you know, God is not going to judge her for being gay. You know, I think she's not worried about that. She's worried literally about how good of a person she is, you know, and I think it's, it's funny that she grew up in that Catholic school that made her feel like an outsider so much, but yet those ideals were still so ingrained in her that she still to this day is worried about what that God is going to think. And it's just, it's just, I don't, I can't imagine that because for me, I think I did the same thing as you did where it's like, I'm, I'm fairly confident that there's something out there that kind of holds the universe all together, but I don't think it's for any of us to really understand what that is, you know, and I don't think anybody that says they know exactly what it is can be trusted. Yeah. You know, and I think it's, I think it's just a general sense of like, you know, basically the force, like there's, there's something that holds everything together. Who knows what it is, but it's just, if you go to a Catholic school and I think we both experienced this, it's like you are told it is one way. Like there is one way to live and that's according to the Bible. And that mm-hmm. is it. Shuck and up. If you, yeah. If you stray from that, then you're going to hell. Like that's, you know, there's, it's such a black and white kind of thing where it's like, there's right and wrong, good and evil. If you do evil, you burn, you know, and it, it's just like, what a terrible place to grow up in. If you're gay like she is like that's got to be frightening so i wonder if there was some people at the school that were just generally not like that that were not all fire and brimstone you know that maybe preached the bible the way that it probably is meant to be um you know i wonder if that's the case like she got a little softer view of it because of that yeah hard to know and and it's a difficult thing especially because like you're right it is especially catholicism and not to to shit on anyone but it is very dogmatic Mm -hmm. and even for people who are, you know, well, you know, I'll eat red meat on Fridays. So I'm not supposed to. Don't tell. Like people that don't yeah. follow it to the letter, even it's a it's a very uh, aggressive religion in terms of its dogma. Um, that's an especially hard one to get out of because there are some churches that are like, hey, you know, everyone is welcome here. God is about mm-hmm. love. God should be yeah. about love. And I look at it like, OK, you got two schools of thought here. Either. You, so if you want to break down homosexuality, right, it's either mm-hmm. you are born this way or people that are like, it's a choice. You can choose to be gay or not to be gay. <laughs> yeah. OK, let's look at those two things. If you're choosing it, you are exercising your free will, which God ostensibly gave you. So how can he get mad at you for using the free will that he gave you? If he wanted you to obey everything to the letter and this wasn't a fucking test, he wouldn't have given you free will. Alternatively, if you are born that way, then God made you that way. So how can Mm -hmm. he get mad at designing you that way? It doesn't make any fucking sense. It falls apart Mm -hmm. when you pull that thread. But again, it's the interpreters of this that are on the ground who don't want to watch their entire personality and their entire way of life unravel. They don't. They will just like not make any sense in trying to fight you when you pull that thread. So it's it's a tough road to hoe, and we've kind of gotten farther and farther away from the song all of which is to say it's a really her take on it is very refreshing she struggles with the doubt but ultimately is like no i did the right thing i'm comfortable with who i am i'm not worried about going to hell you know people can project that onto me but you know i found my path and i know this to be right i'm not hurting anyone it's about love yeah and i think i think it's her equating or not equating the church with God. It's that 
yes. the church is where she worships, you know, or that's where people worship, but it's not on an equal level by any means. Right. Um, so yeah, it, a really good song. And I think, you know, definitely sends a great message as opposed to the next song, Grace Has a Gun, um, which sends one that's a little bit darker. Um, yeah. I think this is one that is, you know, kind of gives you all those blues country kind of tenants that, that, you know, the outlaw country genre has become known for with the, you know, Sturgill, Tyler Childers, Margot Price, you know, all these folks that we talk about all the time. Um, you know, I think this one fits along right in that. This is also one of the first ones where you really hear how well she can sing, you know, and I think her lyrics on this one really remind me a lot of the boss of Bruce Springsteen, you know, the way that. that she, the way that she puts them together. It's the kind of thing where she says, boy, you better start running because Grace has a gun. She's not fooling around. She don't keep it for fun. Make sure you approach her with a bulletproof vest because when you piss her off, she'll aim right for your chest. You know, it's very much this, you know, a very much a story that he would tell on like the Nebraska album mm -hmm. or the Ghost of Tom Joad or one of those kind of mid-career albums that he that he released. Um, and it's just really excellent lyrically, excellent vocally. I mean, she is really, really excellent on this one yeah. vocally. And then you think it's about this song where it's like, Oh, she's just a hard woman. You know, she just stands up for what's right. You know, loves herself more than anything is like not going to let anybody walk all over. And then you get to the end and <laughs> you thought you could convince her that it's all in her head till you come home one night and the walls painted red. Mm -hmm. Now this one, I'm confused about whether she killed him or killed herself. I interpreted it as this is a song about loving a severely mentally ill person who is extremely passionate, extremely mm. creative, but has that two sides of the gift, right? In yeah. that passion and that creativity also comes maybe this other side that this 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 darkness that can eat you alive. Um so I interpreted it as this this is a song about loving a mentally ill person and and that line is about grace killing herself okay okay i thought so that's that's the sense i got and i was like one is a lot more dark than the other of those two in, interpretations that was the one i got the sense that it was yeah um and it and it's really you know in that sense like obviously you know don't listen to this one because you're going to get real happy about hearing it or anything like that but just as a songwriter i think this one really displays what kind of chops she has you know where it's and as a singer as well um, I think every bit of this is is all great parts to us to a sum that's even greater, um, and and one of the most haunting songs that I've heard recently for sure. In lesser hands, in less sensitive, less experienced hands, and again, she's twenty six. But um, in lesser hands, that line about you try to convince her it's all in her head until you come home and the walls painted red, mm -hmm. that would seem insensitive and that would seem exploitative. It's yeah. completely evocative here. This idea of like you can try to reach out to someone and and say like you're you're psychotic. And what people don't understand about psychosis is it doesn't mean re 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 like yeah. you've got the knife and you're gonna kill someone. It means your perception of reality is altered. It's not it's your perception of reality is different from what is reality. Mm -hmm. Um and you can't convince someone in the middle of a psychotic episode, no matter how mild that what they're seeing is not true. And it doesn't necessarily mean hallucinations. It's just, it's this perception. And it can be a combination of 
mm-hmm. the chemicals in your brain or the way you were raised or whatever. But you you have a hard time convincing that person otherwise. So you can try to convince her that it's all in her head and then you su- can't successfully do it in this instance. So it's that not to be glib, but clever turn. It's all in your head. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden now it's all over the walls. Like, yeah, that could be crass. You talk about Vonnegut, like he could have found a very like darkly funny way to say it. Yeah. It's very somber and very emotional here and not, grotesque it's a very powerful image and you talk about like vocally the things she does in this song that americana snarl that Mm -hmm. folk coyote cry to the heavens she hits it at all the right points in this song yeah which is what just sends it over the top yeah she just it's such a just a beautiful haunting song that it's one of those ones where it's like a sometime after midnight by airborne toxic event or Mm -hmm. you know just any of those that are just so dark but you can't help but listen to it. Or even Hallelujah, you know, the Jeff Buckley yeah. song, where it's just like so dark, but you can't help but be captivated by it. You know, it's just that Grace Has a Gun is one of those songs for me now, for sure. Yeah. Yep, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And then you also picked uh, Searching for the Truth, I believe, was one of your one of your choices on this one. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, um, you know, we talked about her upbringing and, and ideology and Catholic school and all of that. This to me is like a very cynical but accurate song about how early on in our lives we get boxed in and how severely. Um, And I think, again, in less experienced hands, that can come off as like a hipster douchebag sentiment. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm different. I'm unique. They're trying to put me in a box and I'll fight the power. I don't think it makes you a douchebag to realize the truth, which is that from a young age – you are kind of assigned a role and your mileage may vary with something like this, but I know a lot of friends who have young girls, like young Mm -hmm. female children. And instead of offering the compliment of like, well, aren't you so pretty? Well, aren't you so pretty? Which from the minute they're forming these ideas about who they're going to be, it's creating this sense of pride in their appearance Mm-hmm. And that's an easy thing to achieve, right? Like, oh, I'm pretty. If I wear the pretty dress, everyone's proud of me. And yeah. it's not bad to tell your kid she's a pretty princess. But a lot of these people that I, my, I'm friends with that have this, that are like talking about parenting, they're like, we try to let her know how smart she is mm-hmm. and how well she did something and how interesting different things are. So that from an early age, you don't feel like, well, as a little girl, my role is to be pretty. And play with dolls. And I'm a little boy and I'll play with my little trucks. Mm -hmm. So it does. It happens to us very early on in life where we get boxed in and it can create this cascade of identity issues and it can create this unhappiness. And I I don't want to like delve too far into the feelings of the trans community. I don't Mm -hmm. speak for them, but I would have to imagine that a lot of those issues start at childhood. The way that they kind of can struggle with these things if they don't have Mm -hmm. an especially supportive family who can kind of help them through this, that that starts very early on. And this isn't a a trans-specific song, but I think perhaps they could identify with the sentiment here, which is like if you feel yourself getting boxed in, you're not alone. You have to recognize that it's kind of society's – it's the natural order of society is to try to put you in a place to figure out where you're going to fit to keep everything rolling. And it's up to you to maintain your individuality. 
Yeah. And it, and it's just, it's really kind of inspiring song. You yeah. know, it's like, as you know, despite like the world's best efforts, she became a creative juggernaut. Anyway. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the kind of message that she's trying to get across with this one is that it really, nobody else can stop you from doing what you want to do. You know, they're, you're, how much you value their opinion may stop you. You know, if it's your parents who have raised you, that opinion is going to carry a lot of weight. And if they tell you you're not capable of doing something, that's certainly a thought you're going to have in your head, whether, whether or not, you know, you're capable of that or not. Someone else that you love, not having that confidence in you can be a a severely affecting thing on you. Um, And it, and it's just a really, good way of looking at it where she's like, well, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks like great if they like it, but fuck them if they don't. Yeah. Right. You know, and and it's, it's a sentiment that I, you know, I think for better or worse, I live my life by. And I think it's, you know, I think it uh, much to my fiance's frustration, you know, my answer to a lot of things is either, you know, either do something about it or forget about it. You know, it's, it's the kind of thing where it's like either if it bothers you, do something about it but if you don't stop complaining about it, you know, it's, it's kind of thing where it's like either do it or don't, but either way, just shut up about it. And, you know, it's, it's the kind of, this is, that's the kind of sense that she gets here where it's like, you know, you're either going to do this or let their opinions affect you. Like, why would you let their opinions affect you? Like, why would that matter in your life? Like you're the one that has to create it. So go do it. You know, if they want to come along for the ride, that's awesome. If they don't, then leave them behind. You know, and I think, well, you hope that people come along with you. They're not always going to, but you can't let that stop you from doing what you want to do. Yeah, and you hate to chalk everybody else up in the world to sheep, right? But the sentiment of the lion does not concern herself with the opinions of sheep rings true at least to to doubters. If they're not saying something necessary to your growth and development, Mm -hmm. if it's not helpful... You've got a good enough bullshit detector to realize they're just trying to tear you down so that you stay down here with them. Mm-hmm. If they don't have something constructive and useful to say, you'll know it. So it's, it's uh, you know, if we're going to continue Casey Musgrave's comparisons, follow your arrow. Yep. Perfect. You know? Yep. Thanks, Jeff. I am pretty perfect. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, I think the last song that you picked on this album is perfect. The It's Always Been You. Oh, yeah. Um, I like that one, but I'm looking at time. So I've got mm-hmm. It's Always Been You. Do you have anything like you specifically want to say? I kind of ran through my sentiments specific to that song in talking about her overall, like this idea that she's an old soul yeah, um, and, and sort of her maturity level. I kind of hit that. So what do you have to say about it? I actually have already mentioned what I was going to, what I had written down specifically is that the church still seems to have kind of an influence on the way she thinks about things. Yeah. Um, in, in spite of it being basically against everything that she, that she stood for. Yeah. You know, so it's just that, that's really all I had for this one. Um, I think in closing my thoughts on the album, you know, certainly in the interest of time here is absolutely stream this one. Yes. And I do want to just do like a mini, maybe I should just do No. I am. I'm going to do a singles episode about it. Okay. I'm setting my intention right now. I just did, I just filmed Deal. another one. But I am going to do a singles episode about the song Out of the Blue. Because I have a okay. lot to say about it, but we are getting a little long in the tooth here. Yeah. Um. So I will save that one because, my God, what a song. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And speaking of 
singles episodes. I think folks will notice that there was not one from me this past week. I apologize for that. Um, you know, something about a uh, massive ice storm absolutely crippling the electrical grid of an entire state, uh, resulting in the water being shut off for most people. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was a little tough time to get through. I did not find the time for a singles episode. So I think we're going to leave, we're going to just uh, pretend that week didn't happen. We're going to have Alex's come out this week and we're going to get back to regular scheduled programming after that. Ice storm in Texas sounds like a cop out to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we we just got rid of all the snow. Thank God. Looking out in my backyard, I can finally see green again. There goes your evidence. Your story's falling <laughs> apart here, Jeff. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm just I'm just a lazy shit. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, but please go make sure you check out those singles episodes. Um, we do work hard on those. They are they are they are fun to make. Um, Alex's first one on on Maggie Rogers was excellent. I mean, I really like that one, man. So hopefully Thanks. hopefully you got another good one in the bag here. Um, so look forward to those. Those will be still coming out every Thursday along with whatever other videos we feel like making. Just keep your eye out for those. They'll come out whenever. But the way you find out about those is go ahead and subscribe on YouTube. Um, that's the way you hear about all our new videos. Comment on our videos. Let us know what you want to hear. Um, go ahead and find us on Instagram at out on that line, Twitter out on that line one. You can email us out on that line at gmail.com. You can also go on Facebook, find us there. Just search out on that line podcast. You'll find us no problem. Um, any of those methods, if you have our personal phone numbers, use those. Just go ahead and request whatever albums you like to hear. Um, thank you, Brandon Martin, again, for the the two recommendations this week. Um, both excellent albums. Hadn't heard of Katie Pruitt. Now glad I now glad I have and uh, really enjoyed that album. Did you have anything else to close out this week, Alex? No, I would like to echo the sentiment, uh, Brandon. Thank you very much. Two great albums. The rest of you guys, step your game up. Yeah, get on. At, at, if you're not going to get on the level of Brandon as a person, at least get on the level of his hair. Yeah. At least do that for us. Okay. That's the least you could do. The very least you could do. Um, so with that, until next time. <laughs>